All right, everyone, welcome back to another installment here of the Minnesota Sports Podcast here on June 24th, 2021. How's it going, guys? Uh, We got another uh, great week of sports going on, and by great, I mean another week of Minnesota sports. I mean, if you want to look at positivity, uh, we don't really have a lot to offer. Um, The Twins, I guess, have some kind of positivity. Um, They they swept the Rangers over the weekend. Um, They... So they swept the Rangers. They were won four in a row. They beat Cincinnati in an extra inning thriller, walk-off bomb by Sano. Um, so they won five in a row. And you got a little bit excited there for a second. You know, maybe they could just rattle off some wins and at least maybe pull closer to that wild card spot and kind of see what's happening. And then they, uh, the bullp- the Twins look like the, the five-game stretch where they won five in a row. Granted, they played the Rangers, who are worse than the Twins, and they played the Reds, who are a 500 team. Um, who just got swept by uh, San Diego in a four-game series over the weekend. So they weren't exactly coming in guns blazing. Uh, But they still won five in a row, and that was like the way they were winning games. It was leading the offense. The pitching was better. I mean, we were like, okay, this was kind of the Twins team we expected to see. And then we saw the Twins team that we have been seeing all year in the finale of the two-game series against Cincinnati, where the fielding uh, miscues just looking abysmal in the field – Colomay and Robles just looking helpless on the mound. Now, to Colomay's credit, a lot of the base runners uh, he inherited were from terrible fielding plays, but still, to give up the bomb, and then and then the Twins come back and tie it. So they were down 5-2, to two, or they were down 7-2, to two, so a five-run deficit. They score five in the eighth inning, or the seventh inning, or something late in the game, and you're like, okay, you know what? They came back. They tied it. Let's just hold on. Even if we have to take this thing to extras, we still like our chances the way we've been swinging. And then Robles gives up a three-run bomb. And the fielding to the fielding miscues to the pitch to the bullpen woes to the getting our hopes up. It's just if you want to encapsulate the Minnesota Twins season in a game, it's that series against it's that series finale against Cincinnati on Tuesday. And they have a four game set with Cleveland, who is um, second place in the division right now. They're a few games back of the White Sox. Um, and by the way, early in the season, I said, I know Cleveland just traded Lindor, but they're still a really good team with really good pitching um, and a great infrastructure. Um, Terry Francona is a great manager. Um, they just had enough. They just had the culture in place to at least be a competent team. And you're seeing that right now because of their ability to develop pitching. The Twins have not been able to develop pitching this year, or at least their pitching decisions have all blown up in their face. Um, and... I mean, you just see it. You bring in Matt Schumacher to try and start the season. He's now in the bullpen where he had a great – he did a great job on Tuesday – or on Monday night coming in in those extra inning games and really kind of soaking up three innings or two innings or whatever it was, just really huge uh, for that team to come in, uh, to come in and do that. But um, he's been a failure for the most part. Colomay and Robles, Robles has been fine, but Colomay has been a giant failure. Um, and you really – but the I want to get back to the frustrating part about the Twins going 5-0. and The frustrating part about that five-game winning streak is even if the Twins had just played a little better, even if they had played, um, you know, even they were 12 games under 500 or something like that, uh, 13 or 14 games under 500 when they started winning five in a row. Even if the Twins would have been 10 games under 500, five games under 500, even just 500, even if they just had the same amount of wins as losses, a five-game winning streak 
turns the season around. It gets everybody kind of feeling good. It gets everybody pointed in the right direction. Even if it's against crappy teams, you get those wins and you stack them up on top of each other and you just feel better about how things are going. You get that confidence. They dug themselves in so deep of a hole where you have to talk yourselves into winning 10 games in a row, which is incredibly hard. The last time the Twins won 10 games in a row, 2008. They were in the Metrodome. Our starting, our best starting pitcher was Levon Hernandez, our, our opening day starter, was Levon Hernandez. I, I mean, I, the, they, have, they dug themselves in such deep of a hole, and I said this since the beginning of the season. I said there's one thing you don't want to do in the first two months of the season, and that is sink it. You don't want to play your worst baseball early because it sets the tone and it digs yourselves in so deep of a hole that it doesn't that you have to play like the two you have to go on a 2002 Oakland A's 2017 Cleveland Indians esque win streak where you rattle off where you win for an entire month to even be considered into this and they I mean when you talk yourselves into that that's how you know things are done they sunk their season early and it shows. And I just think that, I mean, it's it's just, I, I, I don't know what to think of this. It's so frustrating because there are still good pieces. As I said last week, this team still leads the league in home, or is one of the leaders in home runs. Larnick and Kirloff are turning into good major league players. They're seeing plenty of breaking balls early. They're getting pitched at like they're veterans. They're not getting fastballs. They're, they're getting thrown at like they're, you know, six-year veterans in the league. And... The thing that you kept hanging your hat on was, oh, once Buxton gets back, once Buxton gets back, everything is going to be fine. He'll come in. The defense will be there. It means Kepler can stay in right. Nobody has to, you know, we don't have to make Nick Gordon play center. We don't have to rely on Rob Refsteiner. We don't have to put Max Kepler out there. We can, that means Kepler and right, Larnick and left. You put Kirilov at first base. You minimize Sano, which was happening before he kind of uh, had a good series against Cincinnati. But you... You could see the pieces coming into place, and then, you know, but Buxton comes back. He came back. He was going to come back against Seattle in the series in Seattle. He flew with the team, which was a positive sign. He looked a little wonky running, so the Twins held him back until the final, uh, until the Saturday game, so the second game in Texas. And he comes back, and on Sunday hits a two-run bomb uh, that ends up being one of the deciding factors in a win um, against the Rangers to pull off the sweep. Buxton being there just gives your team a whole new sense of energy, gives your team just everybody's feeling better about themselves. Buxton's coming back. He was on an MVP pace. He was one, I mean, he had a lot of all-star votes. And then in the very first game back, he gets hit in a pitch with his hand, hand broken. Timetable indefinitely. He's a, he, I mean, he, he could potentially be done for the season. And it's, that's just the frustrating part of Buxton. We talked about the frustrating part of Sano. The frustrating part of Miguel Sano is that he can go on a two-week stretch where he is the best power hitter in baseball. And then he goes on a stretch where it looks like he should be in the independent league. It looks like he should be playing for, well, I would say the Saints, but now they're part of the Twins. It looks like he should be playing for the Fargo-Moorhead Redhawks. Like, I, I don't, you know, he looks so helpless out there. And that could be a disservice to the Redhawks. Um, I don't know. But Sano was frustrating because he would, he'd just be so hot and cold. And you're like, do the highs outweigh the lows? The problem is now with Buxton 
is that when he plays, he is incredibly good. He is one of the top players in baseball, and he knows it. Like, when he, his confidence wasn't there his first few years in the big leagues. He has confidence. He's one of the best field, he's the best defensive center fielder, maybe outside of Kevin Kiermeyer, but he's one of the best defensive center fielders and Mike Trout, but honestly, Buxton has better speed. And, but, um, you know, besides those two guys, you know, those three guys are kind of in that top tier, but Buxton can hit, he can hit for power. Everything is coming together. He gets on the bases, he starts stealing. And then he gets hurt. And this is where the Twins fan base gets divided. Is it is Byron Buxton a wimp? Is Byron Buxton injury prone? Yes, Byron Buxton's injury prone. I think we all know that. But it comes to the nature of the injuries. It comes to is Buxton in a, in to put it bluntly, is Buxton a baby? Is that what we're saying? Is Buxton a wimp? Does Buxton not want to play? You know, is is he a guy who says, ah, this is bugging me, I just can't play? I I really don't think that's the case. And here's the thing. Buxton has kind of taken that Joe Maurer role. Joe Maurer retired, but remember, before, when Maurer was catching, and even when he moved to first base, there was still the stuff there, but Joe Maurer was ridiculed, especially when the Twins were losing, of being this softy, of never wanting to get in and play, of never grinding through injuries, of always being on the disabled list. Um, of just never being available, um, and especially when the Twins were bad and they had nobody to take out their frustration on, they took it out on Maurer. Um, so I think Buxton kind of is that new whipping post in a sense, is that new uh, kind of pinata of blame or pinata of scorn from some of the fan base here in the Twins. Now there are a lot of Twins fans who rightfully have said, you know, this isn't Buxton's fault. Like he obviously doesn't want to be hurt. Like especially getting hit in the hand. And have like he got directly hit in the hand with a pitch. Like there's not much you can do to avoid that. Um, it's yeah, some of the you know it's because there was and I get it. I mean there were times where it felt like Joe Maurer was like the Twins were being too cautious with Maurer and the Twins are being too cautious with Buxton. There's a lot of similarities there. And the reason that Maurer got a lot of this is because Maurer is very stoic. Maurer had the same emotion all the time. Um, so you couldn't real, you know, it, it's not like you could see Maurer grinding through injuries. Like it was very hard to tell. Um, and Maurer really didn't want to open up about that, which is fine. Um, but so the twins fans just thought Maurer doesn't want to play, especially because Maurer had that big contract. They thought, well, Maurer doesn't want to play. He just wants to take his paychecks and, and just relax. And that just wasn't the case. Maurer just was hurt. And Maurer wanted to be on the field. Buxton wants to be on the field. You can tell it more with Buxton because Buxton's more, and this isn't bad, but Buxton's just more emotional. Um, like Buxton, you can see his emotions more. Maurer was very stoic. Buxton, uh, a little, not a lot, but Buxton, at least you can see the emotion on his face. You can see when the twins, when Buxton run, beats out a, a bang, bang play at first base and he hobbles a little bit after, he's like telling the Twins coaching staff, he telling Rocco Baldelli to stay in the dugout because he wants to stay in the game. And part of it's twofold. Part of, one of it is he wants to be on the field. And part two is he has a contract coming up in a couple of years. At the end of 2023, I think at the end of 20, yeah, at the end, the Twins have two more seasons with Buxton. At least one. I know 2023. I can't remember if it's before or after the 2023 season, but Buxton is a free agent. It is coming up quick. He wants to be on the field. He wants to be on the field as much as he can so he can get 
his paycheck. He wants, like, he's motivated to get on the field. He doesn't not want to be on the field. This isn't a Byron Buxton lacks toughness issue. This is a Byron Buxton is an unlucky player issue. The injuries are always going to be there. And if you're the Twins, you need to make that case of what you want to do with him long term. The Twins want to keep him. But the thing is, is Buxton wants to play a full amount of games so he can justify being a $30 million player. And if he stays healthy, he can be. But if he is where he is now, and if I'm the Twins, you're not paying him $30 million. I'd pay him $20 million knowing you're going to get a half a season out of him. But that's – I'm fine with that because if Buxton can play – and heck, if Buxton can play meaningful games in the postseason, it's all worth it. It is. So I would say Byron Buxton is a great player. Byron Buxton is an injury-prone player, and the injuries are overshadowing the great play. And it's just – it sucks. I'm not blaming this on Buxton, and nobody really should be blaming it on him personally. You can be frustrated, and I think that's where – you can be frustrated that Buxton isn't on the field. I'm frustrated about too. It's frustrating. He is a great player who would be in the all-star game if he was healthy. He's a great player, and he's not going to get that opportunity, and that sucks. Um, so I, there are people on Twitter, there are people on Facebook who will – call him a wimp, who will call him a sissy, who will, you know, whatever word, whatever, I know it's a podcast and I can literally say whatever I want, but I'm not going to. Um, but there would be all kinds of expletives thrown at Buxton. He wants to be on the field. So don't come at him personally. You can be frustrated that he's hurt, but he, this is out of his control. There is nothing he can do about this. He's trying to play through injuries. Believe me, he is frustrated when the Twins um, – took away his playing time in 2019 um, when they kept him on – when they didn't let him come back. And a lot of people said it was for service time manipulation. I can't remember if that was 2018 or 2019, but that stuck with Buxton. He did not want to do that. He wanted to be on the field. And that could sour the relationship when the Twins want to do a contract extension. But the point is Buxton is a great player. He wants to be on the field. So don't think that Buxton is doing this because he – he just wants to collect his paychecks and sit at home. If Buxton wants to still be collecting paychecks, he needs to be on the field, and he knows that. So don't blame Buxton. But if you're the Twins going forward, I would say you still keep Buxton around and just know that you're not going to get that full season. Pay him $20 million a year. I'm even okay with going $25 million a year. You pay him that, but you make sure that you keep Nick Gordon around. You tell Nick Gordon he's the backup center fielder. You tell him that he's going to do that. You're going to give him a lot. He's going to, and then he'll get a lot of reps there. I think that might be Nick Gordon's future, if I'm being completely honest, because he doesn't have one at second base. That's where Polanco is. He doesn't have one at shortstop. That's where Royce Lewis is going to be. He doesn't really have one at the, he's not a third baseman. He's a middle infielder. Um, his only path seems to be a platoon center fielder. And that sucks because I'm a, I'm a Nick Gordon guy. I, I've been a fan of him coming up through the minors. Obviously, he hasn't lived up to the top prospect billing, but he was a top five pick. He has baseball in his DNA. His brother, D. Gordon, is, has been a great major – has been a solid major league baseball player. Um, and his father played in the big leagues. He's got a guy with he's, – he's just somebody that I, I was rooting for coming up. And even if he can't be a starter, even if he can't be the top prospect – that he was hoping that the twins were hoping he would be. Um, it, it's still, it's still important to have him on this team, and he can find a role in that. No, he's got a hit, 
Um, but granted, he hasn't been given a lot of opportunities. Even when he has gotten in the game, the Twins have mainly just used him as a pinch runner or fill-in defensive player and then swapped him out for a pinch hitter as soon as he gets to the plate. Now, the Twins see a lot more of Gordon than we do, but I still just think you need to let him get at-bats to figure it out. And it was kind of the same thing with Ryan Jeffers. He was struggling earlier in the season. He comes up because of Garver's injury, and he's hitting. He's doing great now. Sometimes you just have to give players at-bats and let them work through it. Um, but the point is, is keep keep Gordon around. Even if you don't want to do that, even if you don't want to keep Nick Gordon, get a, get a good backup center fielder. You can find a lot of good veteran backups who can just – be fill-in guys for a while, and then at least take the pressure off Buxton. Be a guy who can, you know, who can just uh, be a spot starter and all that kind of stuff. I, I think if you're going to keep Buxton or Sano long-term, you keep Buxton over Sano 10 times out of 10. Buxton is a great, great player when he's healthy. He is dynamic. He can do so many things to the Twins. Um, the injuries are always going to be there, and I think we need to accept that. All right, I've spent a lot of time on the Twins, um, but... I think Buxton's injury just kind of takes the cake for today. Um, I also have an article up on zone coverage talking about Taylor Rogers trade value. Um, so go check that out. Zonecoverage.com um, on the twins section. You should find it talking about Taylor Rogers and his trade value. Um, I don't think the twins should trade Rogers, but if they were going to kind of just talk about how the, uh, how the blueprint for that would look similar to what the twins got for Ryan Presley in 2018. Um, I go into a little bit more in depth there. So go read that. Um, but um, anyway, uh, moving on. So I'm going to, we got a couple other things to touch on with the wild. We have a couple things to touch on with the wolves, uh, but I do want to give the links some love. Um, we didn't talk about them last podcast, but um, they started the season one and three. Um, they weren't, you know, it, they were kind of a mess. Um, Cheryl Reeve wasn't happy with the performance, but they have turned it around as of late. Now they're six and seven. They've gotten some big wins, especially against um, the, um, pull it up here, the Atlanta dream who are number one in the East. Uh, or sorry, the Atlanta Dream falling over. I'm, I'm thinking of the wrong team here, but um, if I pull up the games here, um, yeah, they did get a big win against the Dream. The Dream are, I was thinking of Seattle, but uh, the Dream, uh, they got a big win against them on the road. Um, they split a series with the Wings. They, I mean, they, when you think of the Lynx, you usually think of that good core that they had with uh, Lindsey Whalen, with Simone Augustus, with all these kind of players. Um, and now you kind of have this new core with Collier. Um, Sylvia Fowles is still there, um, but there's just all that kind of stuff going on. Uh, it's a it's a new core, um, but Cheryl Reeve is still the head coach. She's still a great head coach. She, I know she has a lot more in the player personnel side of things, um, but the Lynx, they're not the dynasty that they were 10 years ago, but they still have some solid pieces around to at least be a, a very good WNBA team. And They've kind of turned that around. So now they're six and seven. Um, if you look at the standings here, I know it's a little too early to be looking at standings, but um, they have the eighth best record in the WNBA. Um, so not great, but they are have rebounded after a bad start. So they're six and seven. Um, they had a big win last night. Uh, a lot of it led to uh, by Sylvia Fowles, um, and she's gotten a lot of credit for kind of keeping the link ship together. Her and Reeve. Um, they still have um, some clunky play that they need to get over. Um, you know, defensively has also been an issue. Um, when you look at some of their games, they, um, they gave up 105 to the Sky uh, last week. Um, they, you know, defense needs to be worked on a little bit. But overall, I think this Lynx team is still an average team. They can still pull it around. They can still make the playoffs. 
Um, and I think just this last stretch where they've been able to kind of turn things around has really been a big deal for them. Um, so I think it just shows that they can right the ship, and we'll kind of have to see how the season goes. I know tomorrow they're back home. They're playing the Las Vegas Aces, um, and then they kind of uh, – they. I, I guess the biggest thing with the Lynx, and again, I'm not the biggest – I don't uh, have – I don't have up to I don't have the history of following the links like some other people do, um, but I'm trying to jump in the game here. So again, um, kind of with with the links, I think it just kind of goes to show you that when you have the stability, and we've talked about this with the Wolves, when you have that stability in place, when you have fouls, when you're able to draft a player like Collier, when you have a head coach like Cheryl Reap, when you have that infrastructure, you're just a, even if your team isn't as good on paper. As other teams, you have the infrastructure in place to get the most out of those players, and I think the Lynx have that set up right now uh, with Cheryl Reeve. All right, uh, moving on here um, to the NBA now. Uh, the Minnesota Timberwolves lost the lottery, kind of. So they didn't get a top three pick. It was about the same percentage as Jared Culver making a three, which is pretty bad. Um, so the Wolves now, they got the seventh overall pick. And because of the D'Angelo Russell trade, it meant that that seventh overall pick went to Golden State. Now, some if you're not as big of an NBA draft follower as, mo, as you know, uh, if you're just not a big NBA draft follower, you think the seventh overall pick, maybe you think like the NFL draft where it's like, wow, they they're missed their chance to get a top player in this draft. There's really only about five generational talents in this draft, and that's even stretching it. There's two for sure in Cade Cunningham and Jalen Suggs, um, but there's five players total. Now, unless the Warriors move up, they have two first-round picks, so maybe maybe that gives them the capital to move up. I don't know if Golden State's going to do that. I don't know if a team in the top five is really going to want to give up their pick um, for those two first-round picks. So um, the Golden State Warriors, it's, if they would have got pick number four or five, that would have been more frustrating. But for the but for the Wolves to get pick number seven, it could be worse. So when you chalk up the trade, now keep in mind the Wolves also gave up their second round pick in this year's draft. So the Wolves have no picks as it currently stands right now in the NBA draft. So their first and second round picks go to Golden State. And then you combine that with Andrew Wiggins. And that was the D'Angelo Russell trade. Now time will still tell who quote unquote won the trade. Um because D'Angelo uh, Russell still hasn't gotten a ton of time because of injuries to be on this Wolves team. And then, um, you know, Wiggins has been Wiggins. Um, a little bit better version, but still Wiggins. And those picks still need to – they still we still need to see who they pick with the seventh overall pick and with that second round pick. So if they somehow land a Suggs or maybe they use that pick in turn to draft somebody higher, then yeah then I'll say that maybe Golden State won this trade. I'm not the biggest D'Lo guy. If you listen to the podcast, you know I'm not a huge D'Lo guy, but I still think that's a fair price. D'Lo is a above-average um, starting point guard in the NBA. Um, it was a little steep, but at the same time, like, you're not going to get m much – like, it's – you're not going to – if you're trying to get a player like that, you're going to have to give up something of value. And so basically it was the number seven overall pick. That was really what it was. Um, Wiggins and D'Lo was basically a cap switch. Um, so I, I'm okay with that. I'm okay with it. If it was the four pick, I'd be a little bit different. But this means that the pressure is on D'Angelo Russell to justify this trade for the Wolves. 
He's Gerson Rosas' chip. This is who Gerson Rosas wanted to build the organization with. He wanted to pair Cat and D'Lo and run with it. Um, and now they have Anthony Edwards, which is a great thing for the Wolves. Um, so they have Anthony Edwards, they have Cat, and then they also have D'Lo. And remember, that's kind of how I phrase it. It's Cat and Edwards with D'Lo. Um, but the the Wolves, they have the pieces in place to at least be a 10 seed. I think currently constructed. I think they could fight for a 10 seed if they just ran with the same team that they had last year and with Chris Finch. I think if they do that, and even Cat in year two, I think you roll with those guys, you get a full season from Malik Beasley, um, who of course got suspended, missed most of the year. When you look at all that, this team can compete for a 10 seed at least. But if you add one more player, now the West is a lot harder. The West isn't getting any easier. Um, but when you look at how the West is, um, they can they could maybe sling into being a, a top seven to five team if they make the right moves. Again, this is if I, I'm I'm spitballing here. I'm giving I'm not really giving the Wolves the benefit of the doubt that it'll actually happen or that even if they pull off a trade, it'll actually work. Because again, the Wolves don't deserve the benefit of the doubt until they actually do it. They don't get the benefit of the doubt based on their organizational history. Um, but if they can pull off a trade for a Miles Turner uh, from Indiana, um, if they can pull off a trade for a John Collins from Atlanta, if they can pull off a trade for a Ben Simmons from Philadelphia, I'm not a big Ben Simmons guy. I think Ben Simmons has always been a little overrated. And he's still a great defender. But if you just look in the Eastern Conference Finals, he was afraid to take shots. He was he looks scared. He's mentally weak. I, I don't I wouldn't be upset if we got Ben Simmons, but it's like D'Lo. I'm not gonna say that because we have Ben Simmons that all of a sudden the franchise is birthed anew or something like that. Um it's you add in great players, but again, are they gonna be players that could propel you to win multiple playoff series? We'll have to find out. Ben Simmons is a great defender. And I think that that's something that I think the, if you're trying to spin this in a positive way for the Wolves, I think Ben Simmons could turn around the defensive culture of the Wolves or at least give you one good defender. And then you have him in there. And then maybe in a different rotation, you have Kogi in there. Or even if they were able to be on the floor at the same time, um, just how good that can be defensively. But at the same time, I I don't I don't know because you're going to have to give up a Malik Beasley you're going to have to give up some draft picks. You're going to ha- or you give up D'Angelo Russell. Are you prepared to give up D'Angelo Russell? Are you prepared to give up draft picks? Now the Wolves don't have any draft picks this year. And are you really going to use all your first round picks on or at least are you really going to trade your future for Ben Simmons? I don't know if you do that. Are you going to trade D'Angelo Russell for Ben Simmons? Now not straight up, you'll probably have to throw a pick in there, but are you are you prepared to do that? I'd be more comfortable going with John Collins. Um, or Miles Turner before that, or unless some other player pops up. But I think the Wolves probably have to get – they probably can't afford to get a star like Ben Simmons. You probably get – you probably have to get a kind of mid-level player that can kind of take your – that can you know be added in with this young core. I think the Wolves are talented. I'll give them that. D'Angelo Russell is talented. Cat is talented. And Ant is talented. Can they make that talent work? I think Chris Finch is smart. I think he can do it. The Wolves, again, they don't get the benefit of the doubt, though. I'm not going to say that they will do it. They have the potential to do it, but I'm still not going to believe that they're a playoff team until I actually see them in the playoffs. Um, but this this is a Wolves team that has a lot of intrigue. Um, this is a Wolves team that they can do a lot, and they're not going to be able to do a lot in free agency. They're pretty stemmed up against the cap. 
So any moves that they make are going to come from trades. Gerson Rosas is a wheeling and dealing machine, so I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to make something work. I am more than okay with that. I, I, I actually really like that. I like that Rosas kind of understands his role knowing that Minnesota is not a free agent destination and that you're going to have to kind of piece things together through the trade wire. Now, does that mean giving up D'Angelo Russell? How does Cat feel about that? How does Edwards feel about that? How does, you know, what does that look like for this team? Because keep in mind that Russell was seen as a guy that the Wolves traded for to get to keep Cat happy. Cat and Russell were close. Not like uber close, but they were still pretty close. Um, so trading that was kind of the gesture to say, hey, Cat, we're going to get players that you want to work with. You don't want to work with Jimmy? Fine. You, you know, Wiggins, we understand. Here comes in D'Angelo Russell because it's the point to keep Cat happy. He's under a max contract. That was expected that he's going to stay here. But at the end of that max contract, is he going to want to leave? And there's two options you can go down. You can go down the option of we want to do everything we can to keep Cat happy and to keep him to want to stay in Minnesota long term. Now that's going to be hard because even if the Wolves do make the playoffs, even if they make playoff runs where they like win a series, unless they like get on the door of a conference finals, they're not going to be able to keep Cat if he really wants to leave. Because you look at somebody like Anthony Davis. He was able to win a playoff series in New Orleans. He was able to, you know, the team was, they weren't uber relevant. They weren't extremely relevant in the NBA, but they were at least a team that you could talk about every once in a while. They were able to win a playoff series. Now, they couldn't get much farther than that, but they were still there. And he wanted to leave and he left. So if, I mean, Cat can do the same thing. The Wolves, unless the Wolves are knocking on the door of the conference finals, that, I mean, it's going to be really hard for the Wolves to convince him to stay. So you have to try and do that. Or you could say, you know what, there's a good chance that Cat's going to want out in a few years. We'll have to be ready to trade him. You know, how can we build this team in a way so when we trade Cat, we can still compete? How is it in a way of we make sure we have Anthony Edwards develop and then we get a big haul for Cat and then we make it Edwards' team? Or we bring in a John Collins. We just have that infrastructure around to where when we trade Cat, we can still make this work. I think you can do it either way. Either way, it's going to sting if you lose Cat, and you got to figure out how to you got to figure out how to make that work. Um, so last, uh, well, we got the Vikings and Wild here. So let's go with the Wild. The biggest story with the Wild now um, has been that Kirill Kaprizov uh, and the Wild's extension talks have gone cold. Um, I am a little concerned about that. Now that broke as soon as we got done with the wild season and review podcast last week, um, with Ian Rivers, go check that out. A lot of great wild talk on, uh, breaking down their season and where they kind of go from here. Um, so check that out, um, on the podcast here on Apple and Spotify. Um, if, when you get a chance after you're done listening to this one, but, uh, you know, when, when you look at the Wild, they need Kirill Kaprizov. This, if Kirill Kaprizov isn't on this Wild team, we're having conversations of do they need to blow it all up. Kirill Kaprizov comes in here, and they're like, wow, we can we can do something with this. Like, we can win now. He's the centerpiece to win now. Now, granted, they need a center if they want to win now. Throw in your uh, Eichel trade talks here. Um, but uh, when you look at how this Wild team is constructed, they need Kirill Kaprizov. He is the heartbeat of this team. So they need to figure out how to keep him at all costs, and they will keep him. But the biggest report out of the weekend was that Kaprizov could go back to the KHL in Russia if he doesn't get the contract he wants. He can bail on the wild, and everybody kind of stops for a second. But then you remember that Kaprizov is at a buddy's wedding in Russia, 
over the weekend, so he's not really even that active. Now, how active are players in these discussions? Not huge, but Kaprizov is over in a wedding right now. He, he He's not worried about that. The agent floats it out there because that's the only leverage they really have is that Kaprizov can just go back and play if the Wild are going to... He can go back and play in Russia if the Wild are going to lowball him. The Wild are going to sign Kaprizov. That is going to be a formality. Like, there is no situation in which the Wild don't re-sign him. If Gurin... Gurin, I always butcher his name, but if Gurin doesn't re-sign Kaprizov, if he somehow lets that go, he should be fired immediately. That's how big a deal this is. And he knows how big of a deal this is to keep Kaprizov. So he's going to stick around. I would ask everybody just to hold their collective breath. It's going to be fine. Kirill Kaprizov is going to be with the Minnesota Wild in 2021-2022 and beyond. So now the question turns to, you know, what do you do with Kaprizov? you got to sign him. There's there's just no leverage for his agent to go besides the, the Russian, besides playing back in Russia. It's going to work out. It's not a great sign. But everything's going to be fine. It's kind of like the Daniil Hunter thing. There's talk of the holdout. There's talk of this. There's talk of that. Trades. Forcing a trade. Ultimately, Kirill Kaprizov is going to play for the Minnesota Wild. Um, but the one of the big demands, uh, according to this report, was that he wants to make sure that the Wild also build a competitive team around him. If he wants to be in playing in the NHL, he wants to win. Because I believe, and, and people can correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe he's playing in one of the top teams in Russia, that, which is why kind of he took so long to come over here. So he wants to be here to win. He doesn't want to be here to be on a team that gets bounced in the first round. So the Wild need to build a good team around him. One of the points that what came up that his agent said was get a good center. And we talked about it on the Wild Season and Review podcast. Ian Rivers brought it up. I said... You need a good center. You need a really good center. And it just can affect so many different ways on the ice. Um, so the, he understands that. And I'm sure the Wild understand it too. But the point that they're making is you need to get it now. And does that mean trading for Eichel? I don't know. There are question marks about his character. There are question marks about age. Um, he certainly would be a big get if they were to get him from, if they were to acquire him from Buffalo. But I, I don't know if that's possible. The Wild have two first-round picks. They have, you know, a lot of good young players. They have the means to pull it off. But when you also look at the expansion draft and you just look at the Wild trying to replace the old core that they have with the Parisi suitor players, still a few of them still on the ice. I mean, it, it just, I, 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 I don't know where to go from here. If you like, if you're the Wild, you, I, I'm not saying trade for Eichel. I don't know if I'm 100% in on Eichel, but you do need to make a move for center. You do need to show Kaprizov, and it's like what I was talking with Towns. You need to show them that you are a team capable of making a deep playoff run, or otherwise there's no incentive for them to stay here. You know, I know we're the state of hockey, but Kirill Kaprizov's Russian. He does not care about all the high school players in Minnesota, and he doesn't have to. So you need to... He, well, the one thing he cares about is winning, and he, you can see that. You can see how that attitude has transformed the wild. And you want to keep that around. So you need to keep good play. You need to bring in a good center to try and turn this thing around. You need, you know, to try not turn this thing around. Rather, they uh, they made the playoffs last year and looked pretty and looked pretty strong against Vegas, who is still fighting for their playoff lives against Montreal, um, one step away from a Stanley Cup uh, berth. So 
this team just needs a center, and it can really push them over the edge. And it can, you know, Kaprizov, I don't think, has any motivational issues, but it can push that to another level, knowing that he sees that all the pieces are around to win, and it just makes the play that much harder. So I think it just makes too much sense to... I mean, Kirill Kaprizov is going to be re-signed, but it just makes too much sense to not go after the best center you can get. Not a center, not plugging a hole, but going to get, whether it's an Eichel, whether it's another big player on the market, just to get that and to show we're serious about winning right now. We're serious about putting all the chips. Kaprizov's in his prime. We're serious about doing this. All right, so finishing up the podcast here, we're going to talk about the Minnesota Vikings, and there's really not too much to report on with them. Um, now here enters the lull of the the NFL calendar. Um, this is, you know, for as boring as it can get maybe uh, in the weeks after the Super Bowl before free agency, there's still a lot of speculation on what can happen, uh, you know, what free agent moves are going to be made, coaching hires, um, how are these teams going to reconstruct, you know, there's a lot of that. And then you get to free agencies over, and then you focus on the draft, and then you do that. And then once the draft's over, then you kind of get to be hyped up about the draft. And then there's mini camp and OTAs and all that kind of stuff. And you're, and then you're, you know, you kind of think, you kind of get sold on the NFL season. You think it's right around the corner, and then bam, you give a one month break where um, everybody just kind of, uh, everybody basically steps away from football. All the players um, take their vacations. All the NFL coaches take their vacations. Um, and then they all come back in for training camp in late July. So there's about a month here where everybody's just kind of taking a breath and relaxing. Um, and so kind of there's not too much to report on with the Vikings, especially because the Daniil Hunter thing is all cleaned up. We talked about that on last week's show and how huge that is. And the the one thing I will say with this Vikings team is – I know Zimmer and Spielman are competing for their jobs, and I said this last year. I said, or I've said this before. I've said this on R&B Sports Talk. I've said this on the podcast. When coaches and GMs, so Rick Spielman too, are fighting for their playoff lives, when they're fighting for, or just fighting for their coaching lives, when they're fighting for their jobs, they will do things that you don't always do. They will, you know, push all their chips in the table to win right now because they don't care about the long-term future. What does it matter if they trade Daniil Hunter for two first-round picks when they probably wouldn't be around to see those two first-round picks or they wouldn't be the guys in charge of getting those two first-round picks? You know, what's the point in that? You're trying to fight for your job. So the Vikings have pushed all in on 2021. They've signed a lot of guys. They've completely reworked this defense outside of Harrison Smith, Anthony Barr and Eric Kendricks and Barr really didn't play a lot last season. It's really outside of Harrison Smith and Eric Kendricks. A lot of these players on the defense who didn't play last year, you essentially have a brand new defense. Xavier Woods replaces Anthony Harris. Um, Patrick Peterson um, and Brashad Breland are your top two corners. Mackenzie Alexander takes the slot. Um, You know, the Gladney deal is one thing, but even Cam Dantzler who showed flashes, Looks like he's at least getting put on the back burner for now. Um, Daniil Hunter comes back. Michael Pierce, Dalvin Tomlinson are stuffing up the middle. Sheldon Richardson could either be on the edge or be a pass rusher, um, kind of up the middle on third downs. Um, Steven Weatherly comes in to try and, you know, just be another depth piece on the edge. Um, Pushing guys like Cam Bynum, pushing guys like uh, DJ Wanham to the side. And it, it... 
it's fine in the sense of the Vikings will be good. They will have a good defense next year, this coming season. Zim, especially because there are a lot of veterans, it might not look that way at first, but by the middle of the season, the Vikings should be clicking on all cylinders, barring massive injuries. Um, so when you look at that, but the problem is, is a lot of them are signed to short-term deals. Daniil Hunter, now he'll get an extension, it's pretty likely, but you essentially kind of push his deal to get done early, push him some money to the front to kind of say, hey, we're going to give you more money, we'll work out an extension, you can hit for agency earlier, just come back and play. The Vikings will give him an extension, but Dallin Tomlinson only signed a two-year contract. Sheldon Richardson is on a one-year um, kind of prove it or not even a prove a deal. It's just a one-year, come here, have a good season, and then go find another two-year deal next year. Um, Michael Pierce signed, what is it, a three- or four-year contract. One of those years is already gone. He didn't play last season because of the pandemic, and that's fine. But, um, you know, one of this, one of those years is gone from the contract. Um, Anthony Barr, he probably won't be here after next season. Harrison Smith, I think the Vikings want to work out an extension with him. But Xavier Woods only signed a one-year deal to play safety. Patrick Peterson only signed a one-year deal. Brashad Breland only signed a one-year deal. The Vikings have kind of set themselves up for this early success and this short-term success at the risk of the long-term future. But the And who knows? Maybe they bring some of these guys back. You know, maybe these kind of one-year deals were just kind of piece it together and then they kind of find who they like and they'll re-sign them and all this kind of stuff. But a lot of these players that they brought in, who, are, who a lot of them can contribute, who knows what they're going to look like next season? Who knows if all of them will be here? And then you're basically put yourselves back in the same position because you don't really have a lot of those young guys waiting in the wings to kind of take over when they're done. Maybe Cam Dantzler, maybe not. Jeff Gladney, probably not. You know, you don't really have a Daniil Hunter sitting behind Brian Robison to come in. So it'll be interesting to see where they go because they really don't have a lot of places to go on this. Um, and that's the issue with having a head coach and GM who are saying, if we don't win, if we don't make the playoffs, and not only that, win a playoff game, there's a very good chance we are fired. Um, so they, they don't care about 2022 right now. They are all in for 2021. And the thing is, is it might just delay the inevitable. I mean, Grant, every head coach has an expiration date. Zimmer will get fired at some point. Spielman will get fired at some point. But... I mean, you just might have kicked the can down the road an extra year, and you kind of have the same thing from the 2019 to 2020 season, where it's great defense. Now you got to go through some changes and kind of rework it, and you fall flat on your face. Now the Viking, a lot of the reasons the 2020 defense fell flat on their face, the Vikings kind of course corrected um, with bringing in the veterans and stuff like that. But they really don't have a lot of other young pieces to kind of take over, and at the same time, they'll have a lot of holes that they need to fill and not a lot of either cap space or draft picks to be able to meet that need. So the Vikings might have delayed the inevitable and, you know, had they might have saved themselves one extra year with their job and then end up getting fired the next year if they don't have some kind of way to really long-term rework this defense. They've band-aided it and they've kind of plugged the hole for now, but you have to come it's like a it's like a ship that has a hole and you plug the hole and you bring it back to shore. Now you can, and they can either go back out with that plugged hole or they can re, actually rework it from the core. And we'll see what they do with that. So that'll be one thing to see. Again, I think this Vikings defense is going to be good. I like Zimmer and Spielman. 
But I'm just saying, if I'm, I'm going to play devil's advocate here, and I know I've given them a lot of praise with what they've done, and they've earned a lot of it, kind of with making the cap work and with drafting, and they spent a lot of their early picks in offense, which is good, a lot on the offensive line, which is better. Um, but if there's one, you know, every team has weaknesses. Every team has long-term weaknesses. And if there is one long-term weakness in the Vikings is that they're built to win in 2021, but they don't, they still need to figure out their long-term future. That's something they've kind of just whistled through the graveyard with. So we'll see what happens with that. All right. Well, we'll be back here next week with plenty of other Minnesota sports content. Maybe the Twins will win some games throughout this week. I highly doubt it with Cleveland coming into town. Maybe some Vikings news will happen. Highly doubt it. Maybe the Wolves will make some trades. The NBA draft is a month away, and that's, you know, again, NBA free agency, and it it's the draft and then free agency. It's not like the NFL where it's free agency and then the draft. So the draft is the starting point of the offseason. The finals are still going – or the, the conference finals are still going on. The Stanley Cup uh, – really not conference, but the semifinals are going on. Um, so we'll see what happens there kind of with all of that, and we'll break it down next week. Thank you for – wait till this uh, jet goes by here. So if, you, so if you've noticed throughout the podcast, there have been a lot of jets flying through here. Uh, that's because I'm in Duluth right now. Um, the Duluth Air Show is going on this weekend, and uh, you kind of just can still hear them, the, some of those fighter jets coming through. So thank you for uh, listening through if that's uh, kind of what you've been hearing this whole time. All right, we'll be back next year on the min- next we'll be back here next week with the Minnesota Sports Podcast. Thanks for listening to the Minnesota Sports Podcast. You can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to leave a five-star review and share the podcast on social media to help spread the word.